hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 177. So glad you could join me. Today's guest is Sonny Greenfield. She'll be here in about 10 minutes. But before we get to say that Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do it because we love poetry, and I know we do, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed, ring the bell for notifications, leave reviews on iTunes or Spotify, uh, whatever you can do to help spread the word that poetry is great and uh, people would appreciate this broadcast. Please do that. There's no admission fee. There's no ticket price. But we do ask that you like, share, and click stuff because that helps the algorithms think that, that poetry is valuable. And I know you do think poetry is valuable. So um, now we have, a, as always, we'll start with Poets Respond. And we have uh, Sunday's Poet here on the lines with us. Um, um, Angela Yanda is here. And uh, here she is. Hey, Angela, how you doing? Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's so great to meet you. So um, it's, it's great to share this poem, which is really especially the ending of this poem. It was very moving um, for me. And it was a story I hadn't heard about. Do you want to explain a little bit about what the story, uh, what story inspired this poem and, and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. So um, the short version is kind of this headline that came out early last week. Um, a five-year-old boy was swept away from his mother into the California floodwaters in Central California. Um, he still hasn't been found, and that the the headline alone just kind of stopped my my breath because I have a six-year-old boy and a, a three-year-old boy and I was almost afraid to open it but ultimately did open it and, and find out more about the story yeah it's one of those things it's just I mean every for every parent it's the worst thing imaginable to to have that happen um how, how long uh, how when did you know you were going to write a poem about this uh, about the story I have been searching for ways to kind of keep myself writing um, this year. And so I kind of took it as a challenge or a prompt to see if I could put something together during the week um, and meet that Friday midnight deadline. And I think I probably got in about an hour under the wire. Yeah, well, a lot of times the best poems do come in right at the end there. Um, and, and so what was your, what was your, you know, how did you, the poem come to be in the shape that it became like how did you know where to start with it and, and what direction to take it yeah for sure so upon reading the article i had really two immediate emotional visual reactions and the first was this fear that in the face of such a devastating and unthinkable situation that people would question the actions or decisions of the mother so i felt this really strong desire to protect her um in some way or protect her from the things she might be asking herself. And then the second thing that came to me right away was this image that's in the poem of my older son kind of suspended underwater at the public pool in that moment when I realize he's not going to be able to surface on his own, where time kind of stops um, right before the lifeguard jumps in and, and we get lucky and he's fine. So that's mm -hmm. where it started. And so I just kind of kept writing into those two ideas throughout the week and not getting anywhere and not getting anywhere. And then, you know, finally kind of had a little breakthrough there on Friday night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. This is a, by luck alone, he is here. Why don't you read it whenever you're ready? Yeah. By luck alone, he is here. One morning last summer while I was sleeping, my three and five-year-old left out the front door and walked toward the park, up one side street and across another, along the sidewalk of Comanche Avenue where cars go 40, 45, in two lanes and arm's length from the curb. 
Someone saw them and, I suppose, realized the not-quite-right of it. Small humans out alone at 6 a.m. I didn't know they were gone until one returned and woke me and brought me to the courtyard where I found two press-lip strangers with his brother. Shortly after, at a public pool, the older one had to be lifted up from underwater by his armpits by a lifeguard after slipping from the end of a slide into a current that kept him down. A tangle of body held in a blanket of blue. The expectation that he would surface. The realization that he would not. My distance from him. A boy's body at the mercy of the flood. I'd rolled over and shut my eyes. It was me who'd encouraged him to slide. Did I know? Should I have known? The whistle. The cold water of the question. Yeah, and that was uh, Sunday's poem on Poetry Spawn, By Luck Alone, He Is Here. And a really moving poem. And, and one of those ones where... Um, you know, you wonder, because it happens so often that the the person involved in a story ends up reading the Poet Respond poem. It's happened a whole bunch of times in the history. Do you do you think about what it would be like to, to you know, have the mother who's going through so much, you know that a poem is written about the situation and, and empathizing with it and sort of experiencing that with her? Is that something that you has crossed your mind at all? It has crossed my mind. I think I'm... Uh... In some ways, I want to, um, I know that this is not our story, really. This is their story. And so I don't know if if uh, physically I would want her to have the poem, but I think I have some belief that the poem is going out into this world and somehow that energy is reaching her, mm. right, of I know you are doing your best. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, that's great so much. And definitely, you know, some comfort and, and such a just such a difficult situation. Thanks so much for sharing that and writing it, um, Angela. It's a great poem and, and great to see you tonight. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, take care. That was um, Angela Yando with uh, By Luck Alone, He Is Here. That was Sunday's uh, poem on Poet Respond. Now we're going to take a quick break and go to tonight's main guest, uh, Sonia Greenfield. So sit tight, um, kick back and relax, and I will be right back with Sonia. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Like I said, uh, tonight's guest is Sonny Greenfield, a kind of legend around here. One of the best poets uh, from the Poets Respond series, for sure. There's so many memorable poems that Sonny has shared with us over the years. Um, Sonny is the author of three full-length collections of poetry, All Possible Histories, the newest one just released last month from Riot in Your Throat, and then Let Down, released in March 2020, which was selected for the Marie Alexander series and published by White Pine Press, and Boy with a Halo at the Farmer's Market, which won the 2014 Codhill Poetry Prize and was published in 2015. Her chapbook, uh, Helen of Troy, is high as fuck, will be out with uh, Harbor Editions in January 2023. I guess it's right now because it's already out. Um, and The American Parable won the 2017 Autumn House Press Chapbook Prize. Her work's been all over the place, including Best American Poetry and great places like that. She lives with her family in Minneapolis, where she teaches at Normandale College, edits the Rise Up Review, and advocates for neurodiversity and decentering of the cishet uh, white hegemony. And here she is, Sonny Greenfield. Hey, Sonny, it's great to finally have you here. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm good. 
I see Diane Seuss's book over there on your shelf. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah you know, I got to ask her on. I was going to the funny thing about shelves. Yeah, the funny thing is I was about to ask her to be on right when she won the Pulitzer. And then I didn't want her to think that I was asking just cuz she won the Pulitzer. And so I'm going to wait a little bit and then ask her a little bit later, but uh but yeah, I'm definitely going to ask to have her on in a little, in a little while. Yeah. Um but we have you it's tonight and it's great to have you. Um really okay. You know the the what you've contributed to the poet response series is just so wonderful. There was, I mean, the, really the best poems in the series I think are poems that you wrote. Um, so it's really cool to, in addition to yeah. those, <laughs> in addition to those, look at some poems from your books. Um, and you wanted to start with Letdown. So do you want to explain to everybody what the book Letdown is about and and how the the poems hang together in that collection? Sure. So um, Letdown is comprised of uh, untitled prose poems that are numbered. Um, I believe, I don't even remember, there's uh, 64 of them, a random number, um, and they sort of weave together a narrative that talks about um, sort of secondary infertility, my experience with miscarriage, and also with the experience of having a son who is um, autistic and uh, also has epilepsy. So those are a couple of the things that weave together in the book and you know I mean I guess it's kind of a heavy book but I really think that it lands on hope you know and and um so that's the collection so when I read the pieces to the audience there won't be titles they'll just be numbers and they don't always kind of stand alone they're definitely in conversation with each other Mm -hmm. Uh, so what do you want to read first I will read number 18, which is on page 36. We we search the spring carnival. Excuse me. All right. Let me, let me start again here. I'm getting a little frazzled. Okay. We search the spring for carnivals and find St. Charles and Toluca Lake. So we go as if we could drive by all those neon rides etching their geometry onto the sky. Dirt on our feet, a shattered rainbow of raffle tickets confetti the ground, and kitty cars turn you in tight circles twice, punctuating your dusk with delight. It could be 30 years ago, teens in crop tops, goldfish in plastic bags, ribbed beer cups in the hands of red-faced men who clearly need a drink. A hotel band does its best with oldies as grannies toe-tap to all shook up. Missing are hot zeppelis and greasy bags and the Virgin Mary pinned with dollars. Otherwise, I could be you again. Wind pressing your eyes closed. Mosquito bites big as quarters. The flying swings spinning your heart out on a chain. As fireworks become exclamation points sparking the sky with chromatic rain. And that was uh, one of the poems from Letdown by Sonny Greenfield. Um, I was wondering, too, when I opened the book for the first time, I still remember it, like, years ago, um, opening it up for the first time and being surprised that they were prose poems because uh, I've, you know, I'm familiar with your work and I've never seen prose poems before. Um, what was it that, that made you put it in that format? Um, how does it fit, like, the content of the book? It's a great question. I've been asked this question before, and I think even though it's sort of like a 
busted up narrative. It feels really narrative to me because I'm trying to tell this story. I'm trying to tell this kind of longer story that was basically like a um, a couple years over over the course of a couple years. And so I kind of landed on the prose poem as a way to be able to move between sort of um, the you know lyrical language, but also like telling. And so I think that's probably how I landed on it. You know, I sort of moved back and forth between lineation and not. And then once I started working with the prose poem for the collection, it just kind of felt right. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then, um, so the book, you know, is about your son, of course. And um, and you mentioned being an advocate for neurodiversity. I'm wondering how much of the book do you, would you say was was written for yourself to to sort of understand and move through things, and how much was written with the audience in mind of of sharing stories and and teaching people about about things as they go through uh, the poems. I mean, I don't know that I want necessarily need it to be instructive, although it sort of will be just sort of as an ancillary experience of the book. But um, I certainly want other um, people who um, parent parent, uh, neurodivergent kids um, or even neurodivergent people to sort of feel like the book belongs to them. Um, But it's also about um, miscarriage and secondary infertility. And there's a lot of loneliness um, in those experiences. So there's a part, there's a sort of a, I call it like a kind of um, sisterhood that wasn't asked for. Mm -hmm. But once you have it, you want to find your sisters, you know? And so I think that that was part of it. And I should also mention that the you, anytime you is used in the book, it is, um, it is spoken to my son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should do, maybe let's do two more poems from this book and then, and then to get the feel of it. And then we can move on to the newer book. Okay. Um, this is number 45, which is on page 67. Today's paper reports that a woman rolled her 10 month old stroller onto a subway platform, then left on the northbound train. She must have struggled down those stairs from the street. I've asked strangers to take the foot end as we hefted your weight down into the darkness, those arterial transit ways of the metropolis never meant for mothers with babies and prams. How she must have wanted to be done with her daughter's hungry mouth, those ever-grasping hands, no doubt dimpled at the knuckles, still full-cheeked in her infancy. And just a news report ago, a father left his son in the oven of his car, the Atlanta sun baking, baking, baking. So we mourn, moving on to the next abandonment. And in other news, I bled again this month, the ticking slowed to a near stop, time dripping into the bucket of my own infertility. No more babies for me. This news personal, this news that breaks hearts, this news again about who has, has not, or God forbid, didn't want. There's another from Letdown. And let's hear another one too. Okay. This is number 61, which is on page 89. 
All those years adrift in our spaceship with its weird silvery angles and odd pinging. But now this therapy office where we have landed feels a little like your home planet. How good it is to be surrounded by creatures who look just like jostling boys drawing math figures onto the air as if it were a plane of paper and their fingers were markers made of magic. When the front door to the lobby closes with a quiet click, you twitch your way in and grab a wand from your pocket. Well, not a wand, really, but a stick of lightning to trace constellations on the ceiling. Well, not a stick either, to be honest, but a mind that makes these things out of dendrites and synapses, while the rest of us from the duller part of Earth act like we're the clever ones. And that was uh, 61 from Let Down by Sonny Greenfield. Um, so Gail Hemmond mentions the, the off-rhyme at the end of the, not the last poem, but the second-to-last poem. And, and that makes me wonder about how you approach doing a, a prose poem versus a, a, a traditional poem with line breaks and, and things like that. Um, is there a way that you, you emphasize the, the, the musicality of it to, to show that it's a poem and not just prose? Is, there, is it something you're conscious of? I mean, what, what goes into a prose poem? I mean, sound always is what pulls my cursor forward. Um, so even when I'm working in the in the prose format, the the the, the next parts of the poem, I, I end I get there um, through the way that the um, sound of language drives me to the next words. So I don't think that is different between a prose poem and a lineated poem for me. Um, I think the choice of the prose poem had a lot more to do with the content of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, even, I mean, any sort of poems that I write, I I definitely hold forward um, by those sort of, I think it broke up for a second, but we got it. The, pulled forward by the sound and um mm-hmm. and and i don't know so, so what is your writing process like because i i think um you know some people i meet have a similar process to how i like to write which is sort of like that like like you have a phrase or a, a sort of a the, a music of a little line and then it's almost like a gust of wind and you're like flying a kite and you kind of like keep it going you know and it kind of has its own momentum just from the sounds of the language that sort of propel you forward is is that the experience for you is it all sort of come from that acoustics of how the first line goes? Mm, I mean, after I get started, sure. But usually it's, um, I start with a concept or an obsession or a thing that I want to write about. And then I have to try and formulate a first line. But once I have a first line, then that, then sound pulls me forward. Um, but um, as far as like what I'm going to write about, like I have to take showers <laughs> in order to figure out how to write about something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I get an idea in my head and then I go and drive up our water bill. Sorry, California. I mean, I shouldn't even be talking about that here. 
Well, you're yeah. in the land of lakes. So I think Although you, you guys have a lot of water. You have way too much water right <laughs> yeah. now anyway. We do. Yeah. We do have a bunch right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so your new book is um, All Possible Histories. And, and what can you tell us about that? About what, you know, how is that different from Letdown? Because it's very different looking at the, you know, reading through the book. It is. So Letdown, you know, I, I sort of have talked to people about this idea of, of writing being of, of writing about a topic that you're trying to work through is kind of a recursive process. Like you revisit it and you revisit it and you write it and you write it until you feel that you've resolved something. Sometimes the thing, sometimes the thing that you're resolving is a kind of trauma, um, but you're writing to get to um, a, a more a, a more healed place, I guess. So, you know, that was what letdown was for me. And then um, all possible histories, I feel like is much more about the way that um, that personal history informs my interaction with um, with public stories and um, and the way that. Um, the way that personal experience informs compassion mm. too. So those sort of things uh, are really kind of weaving through all possible histories. So there's there's um, poems in here that are personal, but then there's also poems in here that are sort of reflecting on like, on, on how I, on how my sort of, what, my empathetic responses are to um, the the pain that other people carry, mm-hmm. I guess. And how long? But there's, there's also humor, and there's like some humor in here, and yeah. So I'm I'm always in, interested in how those themes emerge because it feels like I mean for me like you don't know what you're writing about until you sort of put it all together and then you're like oh shit like I'm all writing about the same thing over and over again and mm-hmm. um, is that your experience too that you're just like generating things and then and it's only when you collect them together that you sort of see that the threads emerge because I found found too after I wrote that my first book. Um, and, and then thinking about poems in terms of books, like I couldn't do it that way. Like I couldn't, like I can't think about a topic and then write about it for a book. But like there's certain things that your subconscious is thinking about and you're, you're gnawing at and trying to deal with. And then you don't realize what it is until you've written like a hundred poems about it. Is that, is that your experience? Um, uh, about every other book, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, the Helen of Troy is high as fuck is totally a project book. Like Every poem is a, from the point of view of a woman in the Odyssey. So I sat down um, and I said, I'm going to write one poem for each of these women and give them a voice. So that's a project book. Um, Let Down was a project book mm-hmm. as well, but um, All Possible Histories and Boy with a Halo Smart Boy with a Halo at the Farmer's Market are both like I'm generating poems, um, gathering them all up together and going, well, how do these how are these in conversation with each other and what themes emerge from it? I mean, and that's like the hardest thing as I'm sure a bunch of people who would be watching this are also writers. Like how do you assemble a collection of poems? And I think you have to sort of, I think the more important thing to think about is um, what sort of, 
what is the movement? Is the movement from like innocence to experience? If we're thinking about Blake, is the movement from pain to healing? Like there, you want there to be some sort of um, progression and it doesn't have to be chronological. And so you look at all of your poems and you go, oh, well, these are the pain poems and these are the I'm okay now poems. Maybe I should just organize those in a sort of the way that we process those kind of things. Yeah, that's definitely great advice for putting a book together. Too bad the Rattle Chepley Prize deadline was yesterday, so nobody can take that advice for that until next mm-hmm. year. But um, um, so you mentioned like going back and forth between project books and sort of more open-ended books that you're discovering. Are you are you writing poems at the same time, or is it like you get immersed in a project and you're like focused on that project until, until it's done, or is it sort of you know two two one left hand and right hand doing different things? I mean, the chapbook that I wrote. Um, I started with just a couple poems and then I had the privilege of um, renting a house with three of my um, very close friends and going off for four days and writing the rest of it. So there wasn't a lot of disruptive stuff in between. It was just today I'm writing three poems all from these women's perspective. Um, But no, it's usually, I mean, it's all scattershot Mm -hmm. as far as, how I make anything really. Yeah. Well, that's always interesting to hear. Uh, let's, let's mm-hmm. hear a poem from, um, from all possible histories. And there is a, also some sort of pop culture type stuff running through the book and definitely a lot of reference to our sort of, to our present zeitgeist. Um, to the 5,000 YouTube viewers who gave the cancer, survivor a thumbs down this is on page 17 did you not like her voice its echo of sugar the play in its tone was it the way cancer made her gangly as some are when their bodies just want to be birds or was that thumb pointing down for cancer itself the sinking suspicion that the woman on your screen will not outlive her own myth What is it about the anonymity of your phone glowing blue under the bridge where you live that compelled you to say no to a song about hope? Modernity, do you have a talent for cynicism? In every heart, is there a tiny Simon Cowell on his plush red throne exhaling his jaded sigh? Who hurt you, stranger? Did a big brother beat all the feels from you? Did a woman once laugh when you said, I love you? Do you also say no to the puppy tipping over in his sleep? No to the babies who boogie Gangnam style? No to the pop-up symphony and its impromptu ode to joy? Who takes the time to say no to joy when it is offered for free? Have you never lost someone to a wasting sickness? Have you lost everyone? to a wasting sickness. How much have you had to drink and don't you think it will be okay? When do you shed your tears? At breakfast, over tea? How are you lonely? What metastasizes in your spleen? What moving artifacts to surviving have you seen? What shadow grows in your bones? Does no song build a nest in your throat? 
And that was uh, to the 5,000 YouTube viewers who gave the cancer survivor a thumbs down from Sonny Greenfield's newest book, All Possible Histories. And that was a great poem to start with because it feels like if you'd asked me, like just having read this book without your explanation, I would I would say that it's about our relationship with news, like sort of collective story um, in the 21st century, given like the, the sort of the filter of social media that we see it through and the kind of struggle we have with empathy because of that, I would say. Um, do you, I mean, what do you think about that, about the way that we consume media and stories? And I mean, there's so much available to know so much about other people's lives that was never there before. And then to comment on it and, and, and that, that sort of performative factor is, um, is part of like, like the news too. And other people's stories like become our own as we like filter them through social media. There's just, just such a strange dynamic that hasn't really been dissected a whole lot. Um, um, what do you think about about all that about about how you yourself consume news nowadays versus how you used to? I um, spend a lot of time actively avoiding news. Um, I when I'm spending time on social media these days, I'm generally in the quiet of my home, I'm crying because of the sad things that are happening to people. I only know just by virtue of my relationship with them on social media. Um, it's been an odd thing. I mean, and it's, it's sort of like a, you know, you have to have a diet of that, or you can be overwhelmed with um, other people's grief, much as you uh, could be overwhelmed by your own grief. I mean, I, I shed a lot of tears um, and people aren't going to know you know, that that was happening, but, you know, yeah, I, I, uh, so that, that's, I mean, as far as actively avoiding the news, because I mean, God, it's, uh, it's absolutely emotionally draining to be constantly, um, bombarded with the sort of savagery of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So when I, and then when I do get, catch something, I'm like, Oh, I got to try and write a poem about this. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the dynamic that the news moves through, you know, with negativity bias being so strong in human beings. And, you know, if we're, if we're reading positive stories that are useful in your own life, that we're not as drawn to that as stories of tragedy. And that just all, you know, filters up through algorithms and, and it just becomes this sort of shit show of terrible things happening all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I guess, I mean, the question it becomes, I think, which the book raises a lot, is, is how do you maintain empathy given that sort of onslaught of, of negative things going on in the world? Like, how do you connect to people without, like, losing yourself in that that emotion? Like, if you have a connection, it's going to be one of sorrow and, and you know, sort of a, sort of a desperation. And so how do you how do you you know, struggle through that and, and sort of maintain yourself and in, in your, your empathy when the only option is almost to cut it off? Um, well, like I don't, I won't watch anything on television anymore that I know is going to subject me to traumatic material. Um, because why do I want to pick entertainment that's not even real that's going to traumatize me? Mm -hmm. I mean, I might as well be traumatized by sh shit that's actually happening. So, um, and I, you know, like my husband, he reads the New York times every day and I'm like, don't want to see it. 
And he'll do things like read me the uh, Metropolitan Diary, which is like happy stories of from New York or like modern love, stuff that's like that. I, but I, I think it's important for me to avoid um, the darker, grasser side of, um, of humans. And, you know, what I'm subjected to um, stories on social media subjected um it's it's uh mostly these days just the things that are happening to people i know and i save my feelings for for them hmm. yes yeah that's just he's almost a, a you know like think global act local kind of thing you know involved mm-hmm. in that where you know save your 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 tears for people who, who are there, you know, and can appreciate them. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to hear that you, you avoid news because so many of the poems are inspired by news stories. Um, so it's interesting, like which ones leak through and, and which ones like, you know, capture your attention. Is there, is there a sort of a pattern to news stories that, that you seem to become aware of? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, somebody, described my work at some point as maternal. I think so the stories that um, have to do with mothers um, or um, children are always the things that um, catch my eye, that I, you know, catch them out of the corner of my eye and then I catch myself reading them because, Mm. um, yeah, I guess that's probably it. Yeah. Well, let's see another poem. Uh, what do you want to read next? Um, I will read a prayer to St. Anthony, patron saint of lost things. And that's on page 43. And it has an epigraph. Um, I'll just preface this by saying that I was raised Catholic. And um, in Catholicism, there's a lot of different saints that people will pray to and um when I was growing up, people would post ads in the penny saver to St. Anthony asking him to find things that were lost. Um, and the epigraph is St. Anthony, who received from God the special power of restoring lost things, grant that I may find that which has been lost. Grant that I may find my mojo misplaced in middle age and replaced with progressive lenses and a penchant for Sunday crosswords. How much mojo have you restored and what does it look like? And is it usually in the couch cushions with the Apple TV remote? Tony, how many millions of earrings have you found since the beginning of Catholic time? A theoretical glimmering mountain of baubles that reaches your cloud? Is it knobby with pearls and woven through with gold wires? You must manage one hell of a spreadsheet patron saint of relief, of signs for missing cats, of hopeless pleading for new hymens. Have you any helpers, or does the nervous sweat bead unbidden on your pate, and do you wipe it with the hem of your brown robe? Do the voices clamor and clamor like cathedral bells ringing in your ears? Tony, do you cry when you can't find a boy because he already sits by your side? And the boy's mother keeps you up all night with her begging, but you are powerless to return anything besides ashen flesh. Do you search in such instances for your own mojo, 
convinced you're better off restoring heirloom brooches and fountain pens, better at bringing a corgi back from his wandering? Would you like to switch jobs with Francis and frolic for once with the lambs instead of just sending the lost ones home? On the news, I saw you bring a body back from Nam and saw how you reunited birth mother with daughter. We're always losing, Tony. Saint Anthony, who received from God the special power of restoring lost things. Where are all the socks, lighters, and wallets, the hair ties, lip balms, and iPhones? Do you keep collections to count in heaven, some calm in the careful numeration of unclaimed car keys? And that was a prayer to St. Anthony, patron saint of lost things from All Possible Histories, the newest book by Sonia Greenfield. Um, and it's sort of a similar question to, to what I asked before, but do you feel like, do you feel better after writing the poems? Um, you know, the, the news is very disturbing and then you, you know, you, you, something catches your eye and you sort of have to write about it, you know, in the shower, thinking about it, and then the poem comes out. Do you feel like some, there's some kind of closure to it at the end of writing a poem about it, that you've made sense about it and, and sort of put that feeling aside? Or, or is that a thing that's helpful to you, like psychologically, would you say? I think what happens is I'm writing this, I'm, I'm alone and feeling a lot of feelings, right? So I write this thing to put it out there so that other people who are alone and feeling a lot of feelings find the poem. And then we sort of have this like imaginary gathering where we all do a big group hug <laughs> and then we cry on each other's shoulders and then we like have a beer and feel better. So I think it's like the, 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 the writing it is a certainly a cathartic process because there's something really, um, I don't know, intensely magical about the creative process, but then it's the, it's the idea that, um, that poetry can create community, I guess, it's, mm -hmm. you know, around particular topics. Yeah, that's interesting. That's exactly what, you know, it feels like doing Poets Respond is that we, you know, a lot of times they're, they're terrible news stories that people are writing about, like the story this week. And there's something mm -hmm. about coming together and, and sharing a creative moment in that, that, that makes us feel more connected, I guess, is the main thing that we get out of doing that. And, mm -hmm. um, and, but some of the criticism all the time is that just, you know, it's always negative stories that you're talking about. And, um, you know, can't just talk about something positive for a change is one of the emails I get on Sunday kind of regularly. And um, I don't know, there's something about it. Is there any, have you ever written a, a poem about a news story that, that wasn't something that like troubled you? Was there, are there poems about where it was something that, that was different or is always that sense of like, I need to resolve and get through this, this thing that I'm, this emotions that I'm feeling. Um, I know. Let me look at the table. of contents. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, sure, like the poem Exoplanets, which is in the collection, is derived from a new story about these scientists picking up radio waves from like bazillion miles away in space. And so in terms of hope, it was amazing to imagine like other humans 
you know, that we can never, I mean, you know, humans, but like existing and having these same kinds of experiences as we are having. So, I mean, that one was like a, you know. Uh Oh, the, uh, the zoom froze for a second. Are you still there? Oh, they froze. Yeah. Um, Let's wait a second. We might have to. um, I'm here. Okay. Well, your videos froze, but we have your audio. Now you're back. Okay. So, um, do you want to do you want to read exoplanets? Uh, Sure. Let me. Okay. It's page eighty-eight. It is. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Thank you. Um, A blast of radio waves has reached Earth from elsewhere, and astronomers tune in the frequency of waves that left. 490 light years ago. It's all science of magnetics and fine-tuned machines, and so much easier to imagine exoplanetary me cranking an anthem and wailing her specific paradise by the dashboard light inside whatever she calls her Chevy, under whatever she calls her moon, with whatever her voice sounds like, where her life-giving star glows much the same as mine. Easier to imagine that somewhere in the traveling, scraps of music scaled off into the cosmos, the scientists' telescopes picking up mere fragments of a song sung full-throated and sent out like a prayer. You know, for somebody who's an atheist, God, there's a lot of religion in my book. That was one thing I was going to ask about is I was talking to somebody not too long ago um, who was also an atheist now, but grew up in a Catholic church, I think. And it was, um, they said, I can't remember who it was, but they said that it was the, um, the, the music of the, the, you know, what was read, the scripture that was read in the songs um, that, that led them into poetry in a way. Is that, do you think that influenced you as, um, um, you know, how did you become a poet? Like, where was the first time you thought, like, this is something I'm going to be doing a lot of, uh, writing poems? And, and does the church have anything to do with that? Church had nothing to do with that. Okay. Um, um, I think it's cool that the other person got that inspiration from church, but no. Um, hmm. You know, it's interesting. I feel like when my first sort of foray into literature, and, and I mean into, like, writing, was short stories, and then being exposed to poetry that, um, you know, like being exposed to, it's it's cliched, but um, Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton. I'm only cliched in that, like every woman my age is like, well, you know, Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton, of course. Um, but then um, folks like June Jordan and... Um, and then I remember reading stuff by um, Etheridge Knight and a couple of other poets. And just the, there's something, there was something really powerful about the, um, the sort of concentrated nature of a poem. Mm-hmm. Do you still do any uh, short stories or is it all poetry? I've been, now? I've been um, little by little working on pieces of flash fiction because you can be really weird with mm-hmm. flash fiction. And so I love that. I love that form for that reason. Yeah. So, so what do you think, um, you know, as your journey as a poet um, advanced, as you wrote more books and we've had more poems published, how have you progressed as a writer, like going through poem to poem? Are there certain things you learned um, how to do that, that you sort of carry on through, through newer work that you didn't know before? Uh, 
I can usually tell when a poem is shit or when a poem is good, Mm -hmm. which has been a long time not really noticing, not being able to make that distinction. Um, I can tell what parts of um, my um, language stumble or feels awkward. Um, I can tell when something is too editorialized or too um, prosaic and when I need to concentrate the language a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's sort of where I am in my practice at this point. Yeah. And then, um, and then um, let's see. Well, why don't we read another poem? What do you want to read next? Okay. So I said something earlier about, um, you know, that letdown wasn't intended to be an instructional book. But this next poem that I'm going to read, um, I did write it with the idea that here's, that I'm offering an educational poem. And this is called Why I Won't Use the Term. And it's on page 53. Because if luck could flick time with a thumb like a dime on a table, bringing heads, not tails, it would be my child's helix pinned to a board then picked apart by a lab coat, my child hauled before Asperger. Speak, boy, and for God's sake, say something clever. I strain towards my son's weird posture, his crooked voice. Herr doctor, I grab his white sleeve. He can name the stars, the chambers of the heart. Do you see his perfect mouth, eyes alive as a badger? He is not a burden. Not a burden, not a burden. Asperger peers into his face and the child falters, his words skipping as a Victrola needle on a recording of Der Ring. The doctor shrugs, shoves his glasses up, writes something in a folder. At Amspiegelgrund, they caught pneumonia, balloons of gas, tigers by their toes. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. 800 children did not pass go. In his folder, it's written epilepsy two and one quarter Jew. Asperger only groomed his chosen few. And that was why I won't use the term. Um, and that was a good procrastination because I remember what I was going to ask about because you, you mentioned telling the difference between good and bad poems. And, um, and so, so what is the difference between a good and bad poem? Like how, you know, what is it that separates the one from the other? Can you, can you speak more to that? And actually, Michael Mayerhofer <laughs> said, no, let he me go says, get my Yoda mask. And Michael Mayerhofer says, I think learning how to tell when a poem is good or garbage is the hardest skill to develop. Usually we're either too self-critical or too easy on ourselves or both depending on the hour. So, uh, but, but what's the difference between a good poem and a bad poem? When I read a poem that's not mine and I get to the end of it and my like throat closes, then I know it's a good poem because that's the breath catching in my throat because I'm like having a, an emotional reaction. So for me, you know, um, I think a, 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 an emotional reaction is uh is when I know a poem is good when I'm reading something written by others. For me, like I know, I feel like I can tell when a poem is good for me when it sticks the landing 
And that means that if I can get a poem to st stick the landing, that means all the content that came prior to that has to be sound. I teach my students this in composition class, which is basically if you're struggling with your conclusion, it means something in your essay sucks that's because you don't know how to conclude it. Um, so I think that, I don't know, that's, I'm just talking like I know what I'm talking about, but that's how it is for me anyway. Yeah, well, that's what we always do around here. We just talk like we know it, but it, it's a magical mystery, you know, who knows how it works. And, and one of the things, I, I was noticing the endings in these poems in particular, because you have a thing that uh, where you have a poem that it's not rhymed, and then you have a lot of times this hidden like um, internal rhyme on the ending some of the times, which made me look sort of at the, your, your endings and how often you do that. And it's not very often. It's a few times that you do that. And what I noticed is you have a lot of variety in the tone of your endings, which is interesting because you talk about sticking the landing. But there's a way that we can kind of like get in a rut as writers, you know, of like having the same kind of like feel to the end of a poem. And, and how to, you know, and it, it's so much better to have a variety of the way that poems land. Speaking of stick, there's like graceful landings and there's like big crash landings, you know, mm -hmm. and mixing that up is really important in a book. How do you, do you think of that at all or is that all unconscious and it just comes how it comes? Um, I, it's I'm sometimes like if I, if my poem, if I'm struggling with the poem and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to cap this poem with a, with a couplet rhyme then I'm like, yeah, that's bullshit. Like that's just me trying to put lipstick on a pig. Right. <laughs> so, um, I think oftentimes when it feels like I come to the ending and it just comes out mm -hmm. that it's like, Oh, it, it was like living in me this whole time anyway. And it's just been trying to um, get out all the way from the head of the snake all the way to its tail. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So when you're not, you know, when you're not forcing anything and it's just coming out naturally is the is the key, maybe. Um, and it's really a great insight that if the if the poem, you know, if the ending is not right, it's because the the other sections aren't aren't up to par. That's a really good insight. I mean, that's <laughs> I'm. I can only. I can't. I don't want to sound like I. I'm some sort of poetry guru, but that's how it works for me. Well, you write good poems, so that's good enough for me. Um, let's see. So if anybody has any questions for Sonia, um, please leave them in the chat windows. I'm kind of trying to keep up with them, um, and I'll pass any along if you would like, uh, either on Facebook or YouTube. Don't uh, don't leave anything on Twitter because I'm not watching Twitter. It's just too much. But uh, Facebook or YouTube, feel free to leave any questions, and I'll pass them along. But let's hear another poem, Sonia. Okay, so... Um... Some of these poems people have heard already a bunch, but I return to them all the time because they mean something to me. Um, so this poem is called For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. And um, the title is obviously taken from the sort of legend that it was a, a six-word short story um, supposedly written by Ernest Hemingway. And it implies a narrative and the narrative that it implies is something tragic. But I decided that I was just going to change the narrative because I have the power to do that as a writer. And one of the things that I know about my work is that I've come to realize that I am a, um, a revisionist of reality, 
which kind of makes me speculative in that if I don't like the way something is, I'm just going to write it differently. And so um, this kind of is one of those poems. For sale, baby shoes, <clears throat> never worn. Excuse me. <clears throat> you think you know the story, but you don't. My baby was born tentacled. Four legs and two arms taper to tips. A hybrid form, a hybrid form you might call freak. His cupid bow lips harden like a beak just before he cries. Golden hued, black slits darken his eyes. I met his father in a cave, but before the ink could clear, all his arms were pulling me near. Yet I wanted him ever since I dropped into the deep, my breath drawn from a tank, him like shadows through water, like dreams flowing through sleep. So no shoes for this boy who reaches up from my breast, his missing hands blessed by every tiny cup that puckers up and suctions a kiss from my lips. His two tendrils curl around my smitten face, but it's just like any other child's embrace. And that was a for sale baby shoes never worn from uh, All Possible Histories. Um, so that, that's interesting talking about, um, you know, the way that when we write, we're sort of creating a new world. Like we actually are as poets. And that's really the value of poetry is to, is that act of creation. Um, what do you feel, how do you feel about the role of a poet in the, in the 21st century? Um, like one of the things I, I was thinking about was that you've won, I think you've been in best American poetry twice, right? Yeah, um, yeah. how does it, um, like, like, what does it feel like? Does that change anything? Because I think a lot of people, you know, if only I, you know, had certain accolades or awards. Um, like, what does it feel like your your place is um, as a poet um, and nowadays when, you know, and poetry has the existence that it does? You, you glitched a little bit there. Sorry. So um, just could, could you you said something about the best American and then and then you glitched and then there was the end of your <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry so yeah so i was saying um you know given that that you've you won that award a lot of people think that that maybe that'll be life-changing you know being best american poetry you know being there and being among the pantheon of poets that appear there um and, and does it i guess does it feel that way at all and, and what do you think the place is for a contemporary poet who there's like you know maybe two poets in the united states that most people know anyway um how, you know what do you think uh how do you think it feels to be a poet right now I, I um, like I try not to obsess about it in any kind of way. What I'm doing is I'm trying to write poems. And I'm trying to put them in the world, and I hope they find people who need them and that are looking for something that um, makes them feel less alone, maybe something they can be moved by. And if there are people out, so you you have to know the poem by. Um, Matthew Oldsman, the um, to the person who carved his name on the uh, oldest living longleaf pine in North America. Do you know that poem? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's basically like, what does it feel like to be, I don't know, like a an unmoved, un, like to have no wonder in your life, to be unmovable, to basically, and you know, to live a life entirely devoid of poetry but like dude that's 
half the fucking world. So I can't trouble myself with those people. And like, there's a whole bunch of people out there in the world who are looking for poetry because it's going to make them feel the feelings they need to feel at that particular time, or is going to make them have the big thoughts that they need to have at that time. And those, I mean, you people, you're my people. And, um, and I'm writing for you and I don't give a rat's ass about the rest of the people who have, who carved their names in the oldest living longleaf pine trees or, or who, um, couldn't be bothered to ever pick up an anthology of poetry, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, there's this feeling like, well, if you just got poetry into their hands, eh, I'm not sure I believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. I think my, my, inst- my experience with the Instagram poets has, <laughs> has made me realize that, that maybe, uh, maybe it's not a gateway to um, better poetry and more, more enlightenment. Um, so there's a quite crafty kind of question by Nate Jacob here, talking about endings. He, uh, Nate Jacob wants to know if you ever start a poem from the ending, which is a question. I, I've had some discussions about this with other guests, about whether or not you can know what you're writing toward as you're writing the poem. Is there a sense that, that you can write from the ending, or is the ending always a surprise for you? Um, the ending is usually a surprise for me. I have in the past... Um, Frankenstein, a couple poems together where I kind of had an ending and then I had a beginning and the poems that those were involved in weren't working. And then maybe I had to write a little bit of the middle to glue those together. Um, so I suppose I had an ending if I'm trying, I'm trying to think about the poem, whether that was true or if I still ended up having to add more ending to the ending. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I could ever start at the end, no, and have like the last lines of something um, and then write backwards from that. So, no, I haven't really done that, only in, in the that sort of Frankensteining things together. Yeah. like I have this like image of like the ending is maybe being like a lighthouse in the distance. You can kind of like move through the woods and the brush, you know, the bramble towards it. And then you get the, I don't think it, it never works like that for me <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Um, I think we have time for maybe two more poems, like one poem, a question, and another poem. Do you want to do a second to last poem? Okay, sure. Um, yeah. I'd love to. Um, here's another poem. I, I'm just assuming that there are people here who've not heard me before, so I'm reading some things that I read pretty often. Would it be okay if I finish up also like with a poem from Helen of Troy as high as fuck? Yeah, it's yeah, just definitely. Home? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Okay, cool. So um, uh, I, I'll read um, from All Possible Histories on page 35. I want a pony. And it also has a epigraph um the medium of poetry isn't language really it's loneliness a loneliness that poets transfer to their readers dan chasson um and the title runs into the rest of the poem i want a pony called loneliness i'll corral him in my front yard just behind a low white fence children on the way to school will bring him carrots and apples might stroke his shaggy flank, could stop to whisper in his ears, which will twitch to hear such secrets. 
My loneliness will tease the feral cats that slink from yard to yard, looking for new places to shit. My loneliness will nicker softly in the night when peacocks on a neighbor's roof wake us with their mating cries. My loneliness will want to be saddled and ridden through the hills above the heaving Pacific. My loneliness will not mind a heavy load, and when my loneliness gets very tired, I'll drive him to tender and endless grasses where he will graze his old gray muzzle mowing toward the west while I walk back to my truck, wiping snot from my nose with a sleeve. Then when I get home, everyone will ask where my loneliness went. I'll say he was so old that it was too hard to see him that way. And my front yard will stand empty, his trough dry, his little lawn gone to hay. Yeah, that's great. One of our favorite poems in the book, I Want a Pony. Uh, again, that's from All Possible Histories. And uh, and yeah, I think it's a good way to end with uh, the other, uh, the newer book, Helen of Troy is High as Fuck. Um, do you, is there a poem that's online, maybe? Because I, I don't have a copy of the book here. Um, did I um, show anybody? Or maybe not. Yes. Well, Circe in the Age of Instagram was just out in the newest On the Seawall. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like just came out at the, yeah, in I got, there. Yeah, got it right here. Beginning. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, uh, so explain what the book is about, though. You said it was a project book. So, what is the what is the project? Um, so, I read Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey, and the this entire collection was triggered by the there's a um, line in Book Four um, that is the child of Zeus, Helen decided she would mix the wine with drugs to take all pain and rage away to bring forgetfulness of every evil. And I was like, yeah, could you imagine Helen of Troy, like just being super traumatized by all the crap that happened to her and being like, yo, I'm going to go get high because I can't handle this anymore. So then I just started thinking about all the different women in the Odyssey sort of being subjected to like the, the wars and the death of their children and like being um, enslaved and hung when they have no will, like no um, sovereignty anyway. It was just, uh, and so then I was like, well, I'm just going to write a poem from the point of view of all of these women and give them um, a voice. Um, I think persona poems are super tricky to go and step into especially if the person is like a real person, that's like, like getting into scary territory, but these are all like, I don't know that any of these people were ever real. So I feel um, okay. But I was also like, I just wanted to write some, it's salty. It's a salty collection because it's super feminist and it's super pissed off. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. It sounds like you had fun with it. I'd say. Oh, I had a lot of fun yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, do you want to read this, Circe, uh, in the age of Instagram? Sure. Nothing is anachronism if you live forever, it says in my bio. It started with carefully composed shots of the island, sun filtered through olive grove and arbor, close-ups of hermit crabs hurrying their little conches across the sand. Every influencer knows what we go through to make labor look like love. 20 takes trying to get that thirst trap. 
gently slopping the hogs, hair curled by afternoon heat, gorgeous and torn coveralls with my bright red bucket post-it. How else to turn vengeance to magic and magic to commerce? Sometimes for even the beneficiaries of serendipity, sun somehow netted behind a new sail arriving on shore, shot perfectly composed as the next set of sailors straggle into the foreground. I post it. A girl must make the best of what she possesses. I share daily stories of how they squirm and tumble over each other, adorable montages of snouts snuffing the lens. I filter the ugly out of muddy trotters and mottled skin. I give them stupid names like Pegasus and Hagamemnon, then satisfy every order, belly, shoulder, bacon, and loin. Yeah, it definitely feels like a fun book. That was uh, Circe in the Age of Instagram from uh, Helen of Troy is High as Fuck, and uh, a chapbook that just came out right, I mean, like weeks ago or days ago uh, by Sonia Greenfield, in addition to um, All Possible Histories. Uh, Sonia, thanks for being a guest. It was as fun and as informative as I thought it would be. Um, and everybody watching now, there's a open lines later. I always forgot to mention that in the beginning. And then when I don't, there's fewer people there. So before you leave, I'm going to say that. Uh, so stick around for open lines. But, uh, but Sonia, it was great to uh, talk to you and just when a wonderful seeing your work and, and, you know, cranking out the books is always really fun to see. Uh, two at once is a rare feat. So uh, congratulations <laughs> on that. And, and good luck promoting them all at the same time. But um, excellent work. Hope people pick up copies. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Sonia. And with Sonia Greenfield, of course, you can find her at her website, Sonia Greenfield. That's S-O-N-I-A Greenfield, G-R-E-E-N-F-I-E-L-D.com. SoniaGreenfield.com is her website. Pick up uh, both the two new books and older books there as well. Like I said, we're going to take a quick break and go to our open lines. And how the open lines works is this. Email your poem right now to open open mic. That's open M-I-C at rattle.com. Um, then find the Zoom link, which I'm about to deploy. You can join the Zoom where, where uh, Sonia was and where Angela was earlier. You can join us and share a poem. Email it to me first, though, so I can show it on the screen. And then join us here. You can share uh, poems you've published recently. You can share Poets Respond poems. You can share prompt poems from this week. Whatever you would like. It's a poetry free-for-all for about an hour or so. So uh, hop on and join us. Uh, find the links right now. But if you're only going to listen, sit right where you are and, and, and listen, because it's a better experience being able to see the poems, too. But here is the Zoom link, and I will be right back in just a moment with the open lines. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Uh, this week's prompt was to put this up on screen. Was to think about a time, and this comes from um, Angela Voris Hills, last week's uh, poet. Um, think about a time in your life when you felt like you're lost, you lost yourself. Uh, what were the circumstances? Use as much detail as possible. How did you find yourself again? Write for 10 minutes. Step two, type in your search bar if you don't, and then just one more letter. For example, if you don't R. Um, how does the search engine think you might want to finish the sentence? And then so she gives some examples. Choose one of these as the first line of your poem. How can you tie the ideas together? Maybe you can incorporate a few of them into your poem. So that was the prompt for this week. And for mine, I um, I did a little different. I used that if you don't and thought of being lost. But I've, I've been kind of stuck in a rut of writing sort of these generative poems where I don't know where they're going. 
and um, in, in sort of a certain vein. And I thought I wanted to try something different. And so I thought I'd try to bust out with a guzzle. And I thought I'd use the if you don't as like the refrain part of the guzzle. So, um, and then as I called it lost guzzle. And uh, I, let's see what, what this did. So this is a lost guzzle. Please, she said, come home, come home soon. If you don't, I don't know what I'll do. If you don't, her croon, if you don't. Walking home from school, it was one of many birthdays. Mind the string, no one will buy a new balloon if you don't. Can you spot the heron still as a statue at the water's edge? How it wants to be noticed. It will think itself a loon if you don't. Yes, you have to put on pants. Yes, one leg and then the other. A leather belt to hold them up. Life becomes cartoon if you don't. The smart ones don't act smart. The wind is heard but never seen. Listen as it lifts the leaves. You're a buffoon if you don't. Every poem is full of grass. Lawns or weeds, they clump between the trees. Even here, add some grass, some green, or a moon if you don't. He never came, the boy who left, and soon the town forgot him. You will too, but somehow still you'll carry this tune if you don't. That is Lost Guzzle. Um, and that kind of went a weird place too. So I guess I just can't avoid going weird places. But let's see what you all have for us tonight. Let's start out with Carla Schwartz. Wow, that was wonderful, Tim. Your your guzzle. Oh, guzzle. Thanks. thanks, Carla. Um, and uh, I did do a prompt poem, and it was you know sort of felt like a very difficult. But I I this is what I have. Um, it's called "If You Don't Want Our Love, Just Say So." Interesting. And so what a. Um... What was the, uh, if you don't want, what letter did he use? W. There you go. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so I, that's not the first line. It's really the title. Okay. Okay. And and I, I did have a lot of trouble with the if you don't, because then I tried many letters and they didn't really come up with interesting things, you know? So I like the idea that you just stuck to if you don't. Um, so if you don't want our love, just say so. It's not that you've left, you just don't show up after I move north to be closer to you. Each day as I unpack, I still think of you as my love, of us in our love. Wonder if maybe a storm has waylaid you, like the night of our first date when crate-sized blocks of ice dammed the Winooski in flood. I unpack the Bauhaus tea set, carefully placing the saucers on a shelf. To a corner of the living room, I move the Moroccan inlay table you once asked me to buy. I hang the oversized empty picture frame behind our sideboard. There are my calls unanswered. Each message I leave grows more aggrieved. I'm reminded of our proposed rendezvous at Fort DeSoto Park. You driving around St. Pete in my car while I rode my bike down the coast to the park, but then waited and waited with the fishermen on the causeway while the October sun began to sink lower in the western sky. This was before cell phones, before somehow we managed 
but but somehow we managed then to reconnect back to the borrowed Tampa apartment miles away, thanks to the kindness of strangers and both of us resorting to calling police. If you don't answer, you don't pick up. Does that mean we're through? Sorry, if you don't answer, if you don't show up, does that mean we're through? As more days pass in the dank basement of the unspoken, as the unsaid truth begins to spread like mold, as we do not speak, I still believe in us. Finally, the clouds let loose their reins when the he who answers your phone when I call is a she, but she's not me. A great ending there. Uh, great, love the turn there. If you don't want our love, just say so. Great poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Carla. Oh, thank you very much. Take care, <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. What a great night. Yeah, thanks. That was Carla Schwartz once again. I should say uh, we have uh, 12 people lined up to uh, share poems, so it's going to be a one poem max or maybe two short ones, like a two-page max type thing, um, just so you know going forward. So if you got two longer ones, make sure you pick just one. Uh, here's Dick Westheimer. Hey, Tim Green. Hey, Dick. How are you doing today? Good. I loved your interview with Sonia. She's she, she's one, one of my faves. Yeah, she's and, great. And, you know, the, the fairy godmother of uh, Poetry Spawn, because it was her... Uh, I didn't mention it during the episode, but it was her uh, poem, Sago, West Virginia, that, that inspired the series. Like, a couple years before, it, we published that, and I thought, gosh, we should do that, like, online in the moment. And... Uh, that was the first thought, and then she's had some of the best poems in that too. So it's great to have her on. Well, and one of the things she said, what you know, she has one poem that that doesn't dwell on the negative, and it's her extraterrestrial one. And I thought the two PR poems that I've had that are not sort of downers are both extraterrestrial. So I think there's something about looking beyond the earth that that mm-hmm. seems to be a good prompt for. Uh, those kinds of poems. Yeah, it's true. It's sort of like astronomy news and sports news are the two places we're allowed to be happy <laughs> as far as the news goes. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, so I, I did say um, on the PR poem, I have a very much, in, or not PR, prompt poem, I have a very much inside baseball as an inside rattle uh-huh. baseball, <laughs> self-referential poem. And I couldn't the prompt I could get through the like, you know, give a moment where you kind of lost yourself. I got that. But then I went through the, uh, um, uh, the Google search mm-hmm. and I wasn't happy with those. And so I, I picked up this book, which you would recommend. Oh, arguments for stillness. Yeah. That's a great book by Eric. Campbell. And I just started read a poem and I got a epigraph and, um, wrote a poem. So it's a prompt poem that I sent you that folks who've, followed uh, Poets Respond will recognize because it's it's after one of your Poets Respond writers. <laughs> Which is you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because uh, I, I Like Muons, is that the title of your poem that you're talking about? Yes. Okay, so everybody can go find that in the uh, rattle.com slash respond. Later, later. Later, but yeah, let's hear this one though. <laughs> okay, it turns out I really do like muons. After Dick Westheimer, I like muons. <laughs> And the, the epigraph is from this book. It's it's uh, it's from a poem um, called Air Sums uh, Before Gregor's Death. And there's a line in it. Thank your goddamn maker that you never sired a metaphor. 
You see, that's the problem. I did give birth to a metaphor, a goddamn good one, so good that a poetry editor of a fine journal picked up the piece it was buried in. The poem was about me being like a muon, whatever the hell that is. I knew enough about them to stumble through the writing, about them, about me, to come out the end with something I'd not known before. And when the editor said, yes, I should have known I was screwed. Well, I didn't know, but after all the oohs and ahs and the new friends on Facebook and the interviews, it all went wrong. There were no more to be had, metaphors, that is. And what the fuck was I going to do? Because what is a poet without a metaphor to be found? And I got so down, I realized I was done with this pursuit, that all I'd write from now on would be like the crap I'd written before, my one success. So when I went, so I went on a quest found a figurative speech origin at or orphanage, adopted all I could, put them to work in poem after poem until they all dropped dead. Each, the doctor said, not of exhaustion or overuse, but of not being trusted. So I asked the doc what to do, and he said, don't worry, Fend. The muse doesn't care for shit about you. All she asks is for all you got, including your pathetic little insecurities. You've got to give her that. So I got back to picking shards of glass from my eyes, taking long walks outside, even on the shittiest days, staying up late, ignoring my wife's oven warm body, two timing her with the gods of failure and thanking my goddamn maker that I still had what it took to catch sight of a muon or two is it passed through me without winking out. <laughs> That's great. Very fun poem. Thanks, Dick. I can't get over the fact that you call us a fine journal. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I am not the only one that thinks of Rattle as a, well, fine might not be the word, but <laughs> we're august. Well, thanks, Dick. That was a really, really fun poem. I really enjoyed hearing you read that. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, thank you. Yep, Bye-bye. Good night. As Dick Westheimer with it, turns out I really do like Muans. And of course, find his... Uh, his uh, poem, I Like Muons, in, uh, in uh, Poetry Bond, which is about maybe a year ago or so, I think that appeared. Um, let's see. Next up, we will go to Guy Chambers. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Good. How are you doing tonight, Guy? Oh, really good here. Uh, I got a poem here. Uh, I've got to publish in a uh, Prairie Journal book here. Actually, I mentioned it back in, I think it was 171, I, I, I read one poem from there. And this is another poem from that same book here or not. This is published out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada here. So, And so I call it Drifter Breeze. Actually, the, the, how I written this poem is just the third stanza that came out, and I just developed the whole poem from there. So here it goes. It's called Drifter Breeze. Okay. Pieces of time in Drifter's Breeze. Heartbeat in the feet on the side of the mossy-grown road and shadowed walking in the dusk. From the strut, lift head to clear the thoughts. To the utmost, the crows listen in from the fence post. Hearing this many times before, from then to therefore, to what stories have been told amiss to the erode on a one man's road. Feet placing to the road, keeping in view in the light of turning of time. Look back in those days, lone, grown, flowing backbone. Give a laugh away 
Never I may. A handshake, a keepsake, sake. The jeans tell it all. Under the old hat, many down to many down to the earth chats. Escape when it's time to void a bind. In the blue moon, over the hill, a white-haired owl keeps eyeing on as the times change its way. It's not like what it used to be. When it, it comes around, stern in the faces, all to the most, you just become a highway ghost. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that, Guy. I love that. Uh, yeah. Give a laugh away, never a nay, a handshake, a keepsake. Excellent use yeah. there. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Guy. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night. You too, bye. Yeah, Guy Chambers with Drifter Breeze. Next up, let's go to Nate Jacob. How you doing tonight? Good. How you doing, Nate? I'm surviving this world. Excellent. Thank you very That's much. Great. Glad to hear it. So, uh, My dog. <laughs> my dog's trying to join the broadcast. Oh, let's get a let's get a full size view so you can see. Oh, it's like a Maltese. Oh no, he's no. a uh, golden doodle. Ah, golden doodle. Very nice. Hammer shy. Go figure. <laughs> uh, perfect. <laughs> so, so what so, do you have uh, to share? Yeah, I got a uh, prompt poem this week. Um, the ten minutes writing about the time when I was lost. Uh-huh. I think. Um, all my writing is about being lost. <laughs> Maybe so all remember. writing is. I was I was thinking about that too. Like, isn't it just if we're not lost, we wouldn't have to write about it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been trying to find myself this whole time. Yeah. So here right. I am. Uh, but I went ahead and uh, put the letter F after if you do if you don't. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And ironically, the F word itself did not come up. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I titled it. Uh, but what if you do? Uh, the italicized lines in the poem are the three results I, I went ahead and used. Gotcha. Perfect. If you don't finish Wordle, does it count as a loss? Does the incomplete word hang over you, a partial subtitle to your tragicomic life? Is it the entirety of your unauthorized biography, the shortest and least readable tell-all ever? Will it have been ghostwritten by old Mrs. Hasselback, your fourth grade teacher who claimed she liked you, but who never confessed your genius aloud when you most needed your parents to hear it? And what if you don't find joy in the snow? Will you never wear boots, even if you need them? The idea of cold, wet toes will keep you shut in until your father forces you out into the cold with bread sacks between two pairs of socks your too tight shoes constricting blood flow, and you still arrive to school with cold, wet feet, plus the shame of yeasty and crummy toes. If you don't forgive him, will you go to hell? Will you arrive there wordless and barefoot, unable to defend yourself to Satan's legal team, who hold their narrow noses high in the sulfur air and look down in feigned patience at you, forever scorching feet across coals as if it could save you? How are you to know that the smell of baking toes would be such an offense to old Lucifer himself? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word, except, ironically enough, that single unfinished wordle, which looms like the executioner's swinging blade, counted to you as the ultimate damning loss. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's funny. Very fun poem. Thanks for sharing that, Nate. And I was Very wondering, cool. though, how is he going to get back to Wordle? <laughs> And then he did. <laughs> that was I found a way. Yeah, very fun. And those are great. Uh, if you don't find joy in the snow, those are great uh, prompts that they gave you from Google. They, yeah. they were really good. I, I got lucky, I guess. <laughs> they were very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. A really fun one. Thanks a lot. Great show tonight. Yep. Take care. It was uh, Nate Jacob with a But What If You Do. Uh, let's see. Next, we should go to Mary Ann Ebdo. Hello. How are you this evening? Good. How are you, Mary Ann? Good. I would like to say thank you, Sonia, because I love Poets Respond. That is one of my favorite things to do. Am I allowed to show the reason why I did this particular poem? I have a cartoon by Jeff Stoller. Yeah, can you hold it up? I can't screen view. Can you hold it up? There you go. Okay. Excellent. And what does it say? And it says, it's a husband and wife. If I win the Mega Millions jackpot, I'm buying two dozen of eggs. (laughs) I love his cartoons. He had one at Christmas time that's the Grinch, there's Christmas, the recession, and there is the Grinch right in the center. <laughs> it was funny. So mine is titled Eggs and Mega Millions. Ah, the joys of my December baking season. Several dozen eggs, no problem. Sale upon sale for the chicken's finest. Making or mixing, baking, and decorating. Goodies from our culinary heritage to be set upon platters for Christmas treats. January came to my grocery list horror. A dozen eggs past the cost of $6. Evening news anchors reporting stories of bakeries and bagel shops raising prices of our favorite delights. Newspaper cartoons giving some poets ideas of protest. Guessing our favorite Sunday stop will have to be one less dozen. Investing in a Mega Millions ticket or two, hopefully it can afford to pay for a dozen of eggs or two. <laughs> That's another fun poem. A lot of fun poems tonight. Thanks for sharing that. You're All welcome. Right. All right. That was Mary Ann Abdo with Eggs and Mega Millions. Sorry I couldn't show it on the screen. I was uh, looking in the wrong spot for it, but we had it right here the whole time. Thanks for sharing that, Mary Ann. Excellent poem okay. and a good reading of it, too. Um, next, let's go to, um, let's go to, where are we? Where are we? I got a little lost here in my little call list. Let's go to, um, who, where's the beginning of this list? Ah, here's Bishwajit uh, Mishra. Hi, Tim. Hey, good how you doing everybody. today? Yeah, good, good to see you. Thank you. You too. I can make it last. <laughs> Last week, I was away. Well, excellent. Well, what do you have for us this week? Okay, I've got a a prompt poem. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I, I pasted the the page that it came out with the the prompt. So I used, like Nate, I used three of those. Uh And they're italicized in the poem. Ah, I guess. Okay, so here, Uh, we'll we'll show it first. Why not? This is, uh, these are the actual search results highlighted here for us all to see. (laughs) It's going to be excellent to see how the poem is pieced together based on these. Okay. Yeah, go ahead whenever you're ready. So it's called, uh, it's called Defogged. If you don't cough, you don't get off. A water carrier with garden globes stood wandering with smoked eyes, coughing on the brink of a kitchen garden smoked out by a fire in an incipient forest that was not yet. A miasma might have hidden an abyss behind the veil, which the numb novice did not even know enough to fear. Still, 
and eerie vacuousness seemed looming. A random meeting occurred with an aging gardener who said, if you don't chew your food properly, you can't digest. Felt ignominious to the proud novice, but the gardener turned around with unchanged tone, turning him around too, exclaiming, not apologizing for the snubbing, if you don't change transmission fluid, your engine will cease. I think your car is good and you have passengers waiting. An idling car beats the purpose. Dream was nice, but it got shaken out of sleep and a garden appeared, turning verdant by the hour as the fences were melting away. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's another great Thank use you. of the uh, prompt moving through those uh, <laughs> those different different ideas. Yeah, excellent. Excellent uh, use of the prompt. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you. Yep. Take care. That was Bishwajit Mishra with uh, Defogged. Uh, next up, let's go to Mike Bales. <clears throat> Good evening. Hey, Mike. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. This is a fun prompt. Um, I'm mistaken. I have the free ride off to do that more often to try to shake up my poetry. But I put, if you don't believe in, yes, I mistakenly what did believe in. And I went down and ironically, the word, I, the phrase I like is, if you don't believe in magic, you'll never find it. Oh, I like um, that. That's a great quote. I wonder who first said that first. <laughs> yeah. It almost sounds like a Joseph Campbell thing. Yeah, it kind of does. And yeah. like creating magic in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, in freshman year of college and I was a little bit lost and burnt out. It was spring semester. Uh-huh. I sent it to you. It's something begins, something ends in a whisper. Yep, go ahead whenever you have it right here. What was green was green. Trees as they blossomed near a brook a half a mile away from campus. This was a story. Something was missing. I could feel it in my heart. The textbooks and notes were closed. They were on a shelf above my desk. And after a change in, in majors in my freshman year, I had become someone else. A talk with a little sister of the sorority of the fraternity left me wanting more. A month after the last date with someone else. On the last date, we saw James Taylor in concert. His voice was sweet. His last song, Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight. My date and I kissed by the elevator for the first and last time, as if I hadn't admitted something was always missing. In the Arboretum, I took in all that was green and listened to the song Brooke sang as if it was meant for me. The sun broke through a wall of clouds, relieving the life, revealing the life I had always longed for. Yeah, excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. Great memory, Mike. Uh, something begins, thanks. something ends, and a whisper. Yeah, excellent poem. Always a pleasure. Okay, thanks. Yep. Have a great night. Yep, you too. Yeah, Mike Bales. And uh, Jennifer Elise Wang is up. So I think I might have... Jennifer Elise Wang is up next. All right. Hey, Tim. Hey, how you doing? And we get a cat photo of him right off the bat. Let's see that cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Extra needy. Excellent. But yeah, so I changed my uh, selected poem because uh, just with all the talk about the Odyssey and reimagining characters, um, reminded me of a, a piece I wrote years ago. Uh-huh. Um, it was for this contest called Ode to Olympians. And um, the, the host of the contest would have uh, each Greek god be a theme and you would write a poem based on the the olympians mm-hmm. so i decided to kind of put a modern day twist 
on uh, some of the goddesses. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, this was the first one that I got in. Yeah, another one that sounds fun. Let's go, go ahead whenever you're ready. Yeah, it's called Patron Goddess of Girls with Glasses. She, the bright-eyed girl, who was never a child, is the one we want to be like. The one for which we, the night owls, burn the oil at midnight, an offering. We ask for her guidance in defeating the gorgons we encounter in the halls and winning against older males with an olive branch. We hide among books, weaving neural networks in hopes of becoming brilliant like her, the instructor who showed us how to sharpen our wits and shield ourselves from temptations. Fully armed, we will enter the world and when we turn into women, we still pray to her, asking not for beauty or domestic talents, but for cunning strategies like the generals who serve her to win love's battle. Excellent. Yeah. Patron goddess of girls with glasses. Another fun one. For some reason, the, uh, the, uh, the, the mythology is becoming fun. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's similar to the exoplanets. Like it's a different world so we can have a little more fun with it or something like that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Great, great poem, Jennifer. Right, thank you. Yep. Take care. Uh, Jennifer Elise Wang with patron goddess of girls with glasses. Uh, Sharon Ferrante is up next. Hi, Tim. Hey, Sharon. How are you doing tonight? Okay. Oh, I love the interview with Sonia. Yeah, very informative. That, it was. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Cool. So what do you what do you got for us? I I did a prompt poem. Uh-huh. Um, and when I when I I started to write and then I did um this search. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to choose B. It got Mike, I think Mike did B. Uh-huh. But after I wrote it, I'm like, this is crazy, you know? But <laughs> That's I got it all together somehow. And uh-huh. yeah, you know, I like crazy. So I, Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's fun. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and share. Okay, go ahead. What my search revealed. If you don't believe in aliens... They won't back up your payments, and the bank will take your house. If you don't break bread with your neighbor, she'll snatch your husband. If you don't break her jaw and laugh while you help her, reattach it. If you don't weep watching a hawk float, or when a frog disappears in the downspout, And when you need to be found, but your mother's not home. If you don't believe in miracles, your lamplight will go out. You'll circle the campground, fall in the lake with the lady. If you don't believe you have a purpose, go ahead, get lost. Excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for that. Excellent as always. What my search revealed, uh, Sharon. Thanks so much for sharing that. I just so enjoyed that prompt. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun one, and, and people are doing a great job with it. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. Yes, they are. Great night. Thank yep. you. Good night. Uh, Sharon Fronte with what my search revealed. Let's go to a first-time caller. I think we have uh, Sharon Hamilton is here. I don't think Sharon's been on before. Hi, no, I'm definitely a first time. This is a scary experience for me, but I I love Rattle and I I love Poets Respondent, so I thought I'm going to show up and try. Oh, excellent. That is great. And um, let's see. Oh, I have the poem here, too. So, uh, yeah, so where are you calling from? 
I'm calling from Canada. I live in Ottawa, the national capital. Ah, excellent. Yeah. And uh, so there's nothing to be worried about because we're all just friends sharing poems on here. Um, what is it that you were writing about? Uh, so um, I put the news item in the, the title itself, so uh -huh. the, the, it will be self-explanatory <laughs> when I say it. <laughs> okay, well, let's hear it then. I got it up for everybody. All right. <clears throat> Woman claims boa constrictor in luggage is emotional support snake. Four-foot reptile Bartholomew was denied boarding. <laughs> the Independent, Monday, January 9th, 2023. There once was a snake named Bartholomew a boa constrictor stashed out of view. A reptile in flight shouldn't cause people fright. He's just a care pet that hugs all of you. <laughs> That's great. We always uh, we always do appreciate light verse. There's not enough of it. That was really fun, a limerick um, about a, a really funny news article. You should send that to light verse. I think, uh, you know about light, light magazine? No, thank yeah. you. I, I should. I mean, this is actually also my first limerick, but oh, I figured this this news story did call out for a particularly <laughs> silly poetic form. I figured, you know, I mean, how many people try to smuggle a boa constrictor in their luggage on a flight to Tampa? And then their story is that it's a support snake. It just all seemed uh, like it needed light verse. Yeah, well, it really did. And a great, you, you, uh, you hit the punchline perfectly. Excellent limerick there. Thanks so much for sharing that. Great. Thank you very much. Yep. Take care. And it was Sharon Hamilton with um, um, the whole title. What was the title? It was, uh, I lost it. There it is. Woman claims boa constrictor in luggage is emotional smart snake. That's really funny. Uh, thanks again, Sharon. Uh, let's go next to Brian O'Sullivan. Hi, Tim. Hey, Brian. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. I'm really enjoying this. I think it was a really fun prompt. It's cool to hear what everyone's doing with it. Yeah, definitely. I am in the um, if if you don't believe group, I think, with Mike and Sharon. <laughs> I, I wonder how how uh, uniform those are. How much is based on your search history, and how much is just based on other people's searches? Uh, mm. I wonder. I don't really know. No. So is it Fall Felicia? Yes, that's it. Excellent. Okay, yep. have it up. Go ahead whenever you are ready. Okay. Fall Felicia. If you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. Falsely attributed to Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> if you don't believe in something, you'll fall off a ladder in a purple curtain Decatur Street shop where you are stocking bamboo shells with magic doodahs. And a voodoo doll for change will fall with you, and its head will break off, and you'll breathe in all the change vapors and sawdust, and you'll find yourself floating in space and orbiting yourself. Then, if you believe only in yourself, you'll fall meteoric into your own atmosphere, and you'll breathe your own fire in, and you'll dive down to depths where a rock flows free, and you'll wonder how there will ever be solidity without some kind of miracle or magic. So you'll want to believe, because if there is magic, presto, changeo, you can still make solid ground for yourself. Maybe you can grab a wand and work your will. But if you don't believe the warnings, you will fall pregnant, and your Victorian aunt will tell you where the wayward go, and the air you breathe will stiffen to suffocate. And you can't breathe pure incense. That ain't the kind of magic that's going to get you to a place where you can start to set up the Jenga pieces of yourself. If you believe... the the moralists, you'll fall like a tower that went up too far too fast, and you will end up a babbling mess, writing your will in Comic Sans hier hieroglyph hieroglyphics on the memories you breathe. 
If you believe everything you're told, you'll fall into wyvern caves inside rabbit holes lined with magic fur. <clears throat> gets uh, gets gets snared in the warp of rhyme and the spell of stories. Get lost at last in the ant farm of words and end up nowhere. But sometimes you have to go nowhere to get anywhere. Things have to get strange if you're going to change. So you'll will yourself to try again to assemble the kit of yourself and you'll build yourself a pair of lungs to breathe with. And you'll pick some plausible, livable kind of magic because if you don't believe in something, you'll fall. So fall, Felicia Culpa, when laughing children, where laughing children fall and breathe the autumn air in the pile of leaves crackling with dying living magic. Just let yourself believe, disbelieve, believe, disbelieve, and fall. So yeah, thanks so much for that great use of uh, the repetition there, which I just learned on Critique of the Week is called Anaphora. Because Lisa mm-hmm. Ellison was like, thanks for defending my anaphora. And I had to look up what it meant. But uh, <laughs> that means repetition in a, in a, in a, in a speech. So uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, excellent poem. Thanks so much. All the detail. Really fun one. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. Thank you. Yep, take care. Brian O'Sullivan with Fall Felicia. A great title, too. Um, let's go next to, let's go to Nivedita Karthik next. Um, hey, Tim. Hey, Nivedita. How are you this morning? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, and so what do you have for us? Um, I have a prompt poem. Uh-huh. But here's the thing. So when I typed, if you don't, uh-huh. and then I gave the letter C, and it showed me no results available. Do you probably mean? <laughs> oh, really? And then. I don't know what I was trying to do. It went on giving me a list of no mores. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's that's also close enough. Okay, <laughs> let's let's ignore the letter, but let's use no more. Mm-hmm. So then I just went, if you don't. And the first result that came was like. So I was like, hmm, okay, fine, that works. I mean, okay. I put a letter, but I didn't get any. So you're giving me a letter. I'll, I'll just use that instead, along with the no mores. So um, there are three no mores. And... Uh, three of all three of those are actually the starting of the normals is actually taken from the Google's did you probably mean to search oh. for results that it gave me when I tried searching if you don't see so uh, I don't know I thought see was quite a common word like if mm-hmm. you don't cheat if you don't I don't know like that there's so mm-hmm. many options but <laughs> apparently Google doesn't want me to search for if you don't see Very so here we go yeah if you don't I will if you don't like me It's too bad. I'm done living your way, doing things to please you. No more sweating over sweltering stuff tops. No more striding from store to store for your perfect shirt. No more baths in lukewarm water at 5 a.m. in winter. No more, no more, just no. Now it's my turn and I'm going to put me first and care for me. It's time to be a bit selfish to rediscover the real me again. And I'm so glad I did for I truly missed me. Ah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that, Nivedita. And great use of Google's failure. I don't know what was going on there, but... I seriously don't know what it meant by that. And these were the no more results mm-hmm. that it gave me. I was like, like connection between what I've searched and the no mores that you're giving me. But it worked well for the final, if you don't, that I got, if you don't like me. So mm-hmm. it actually went well with that. And I was like, thank God, something worked. So Google did come to save the day in the end. Excellent. Well, albeit in a rounded way. <laughs> oh, great. Well, so I can write that and share it. Thanks, Nivy. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Have a lovely evening. You too. Have a good day. Nivedita Karthik with a, if you don't, I will. And next up is Carolyn Codd. Hello. Hi, Carolyn. How are you doing this evening? Okay. 
Um, I'm afraid this this is a little heavier poem because it's a it's an elegy to my friend. I think I mentioned a while back that a, a very close friend of mine had um, passed away this past summer. Mm-hmm. And um, I started out right away trying to write something about about her, but I, I got kind of stuck and I couldn't couldn't keep it up until just recently I got back to it. And mm-hmm. um, this is what I came up with. But I think it's partly appropriate for the day of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday mm-hmm. because her, she has the same name as I do. Her name is Carolyn. Um, but she was also, she was black, and she was involved in the civil rights and mm-hmm. voting rights uh, struggles. Mm-hmm. And she also was um, she worked for many years as a uh, election day poll worker in New York City. So with all that, anyways, yeah. um, the title is the other Carolyn, soul sister. That's what I call her. She was black, but it's not for that. It seems our souls were connected in some deep, mysterious, spiritual way. If there were such a thing as priestess, she would have been one. Close friends we were for some 50 years. We met at one of our early social work jobs there in New York City, where she lived out her life. I, however, did not stay put. When I moved from New York to New Jersey, she seemed to know my plan almost before I did. In spite of distance, even when I lived in Spain, our closeness continued. Letters, phone calls, plus occasional visits were our links. High tech was not for her. Over the years, we shared things about our lives that we could share with none other. She appreciated my poetry and often saw things in my poems I myself had not seen. As a single woman living on her own, her family consisted of her mother, her twin sister, nieces and nephews. She took responsibility of caring for her aging mother, suffering from dementia until her death several years ago. She remained very close to her sister, whose death a couple of years ago affected her deeply. Carolyn had many interests, among them music of all sorts, ballet and travel. Besides concerts at Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center, she knew where to find free concerts all around the city. I felt blessed to be able to attend some of these events with her. Upon retirement, she learned to play the violin and played in a small ensemble entertaining at senior centers. Her travels took her to many parts of the world where she collected interesting souvenirs and mementos. Her home became a mini museum. Now, recently, she has embarked on her final journey. Bon voyage, dear friend. I still look for your letters and postcards. Very touching poem, and so sorry for your loss, Carolyn. I remember you um, sharing a different poem dedicated to her when she passed away. I'm really sorry, uh, really sorry for that, and, uh, and, but a great touching tribute to her. Thanks for sharing it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was Carolyn Codd with uh, The Other Carolyn. And uh, next up is Audrey Friedman. Hi. Hey, Audrey. How are you doing tonight? Very, very good. I uh, I wrote a poem to the prompt uh-huh. very loosely. I just did the first part. Yeah, no you and me both. <laughs> okay. Failure. I will fail at being perfect as a virgin fruit with unscarred skin. I will fail at remembering how much my mother loved me, only to remember her lies slicing like samurai swords 
I will fail at not being high and mighty, towering like a Buddha saying poo-poo to underlings who will never find nirvana. I will fail at being a daughter, especially when witnessing my mother's death. I will fail at finding the words for grief and shedding my frozen tears. I will fail at being genuine and spontaneous as I sit by her deathbed, as monitors and feeding tubes become background music. I will fail at farewells and eulogies. Linda Pastan offered me wisdom in one of her poems. Why don't we say goodbye right now before whatever is going to happen happens? I read this during the death vigil. If we had done that 20 years ago, then I could properly grieve. Oh, another very touching poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Audrey. Uh, failure. Thank Thanks you. so much. Yeah, take care. You too. There's Audrey Friedman with Failure. And uh, Mark Grinier is up next. Hi, Tim. Hey, Mark. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, I'm afraid I don't have a prompt poem, but I do have a poem that is a new poem that I just wrote. So it's called Gloria. Okay, did you send it to me? I'm looking for it. Yes, I did. Let me see. Gloria. I'll try to find it this way. Gloria? Hmm. I'm not seeing it. We'll just have to listen, I think. Okay. Um, once a month, we pay for her service cleaning this house that's grown too large for us to maintain. As we grow older, less spry and determined to maintain those fronts, those fronts position demands of spotless floors, dust-free louvres, windows so clean they are hardly there, and toilets fit for dogs to drink in. She does those things we don't really want to do, bent over mops, stretching for dust, scrubbing our floors on hands and knees, keeping things clean as she was taught by her immigrant Mexican family, struggling to be as they would want to be here in this land of opportune existence, wealth, and prejudice. Yeah, excellent. Gloria, thanks so much for sharing that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. That was a Mark Grinier with Gloria. And that is going to be the last of the Zoomers for today. So I'm going to shut off the Zoom meeting and see if we have anybody else who sent poems in they would like me to read for them. Um, we have Ted Guevara. Has a, he says, I wrote this poem 12 years ago. I knew I was a caring environmentalist at one time or another, he says. So this is Ted Guevara's poem um, of Tusk and Piety. And that's all the description we got. So let's see what, uh, what, what Ted is sharing with us right now. <clears throat> of Tuscan piety. The inches don't matter anymore as long as they're close to white and strong beyond compare. In China, God and goddess figurines have to be made of them, chiseled to intricate, perfect, divine, beyond compare. So they open a trade with Africa our money is clean, our reason wise, our intention holy, beyond compare, while the elephants, docile, personable, capable of grief, roam, dwindle, diminish, beyond nothing. That was a Ted Guevara's poem. Thanks for sharing that, Ted, of Tuscan piety. Very interesting. And um, let's see if we have any others for this, uh, this week's prompt. 
Um, Andrea um, Dobrika has a poem here, too. This is the If You Don't prompt. Um, um, Andrea says, when I ran the Google search, If You Don't L, the last result worked so well that I made it the title instead of the first line. The search results are embedded in the document. So here you go. Um, and uh, Andrea did the same thing as uh, someone else did earlier and shared the actual screenshot of the search um, proof of concept right here. This is, uh, here we go, this is the search. So if you don't like me, if you don't like something, change it. Uh, if you don't let me gut out this house, we got a lot of things for like that. And let's see what the poem is. This is, if you don't let me gut out this house. No understatement. Your intention blatant and loud as the cathode ray tube of a TV set exploding its electrons on cement to mark the end of an era. I belong to summer no more, Dad. Your anger redecorated this home in an unfamiliar way. Mom's angel wing begonia took a four-story flight. So did her potted fig tree and everything else that carried her touch, your side of the room, and mint condition. Nine-year-old me still there, pinned under the plywood mess of overthrown shelves and splinters. Or was it crouched behind the yellow velvet couch? Wait, I remember, hallway. Legs heavy, sunken onto the floor, heartbroken, locked in yours. I can't recall the tile's color, although I won't forget how tears replaced the green of your eyes with that unearthly gray hue of empty shells. We never shared an umbilical cord, you and I, but the blood streaks wrapped around your clenched fist, the same one that shattered its way out of that house through the living room window, served just as well. Another very touching poem. That's Andrea Dobrika with uh, If You Don't Let Me Gut Out This House. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Andrea. A great poem there. Um, let's see. And Dick Westheimer included this. and I might as well read it because um, I do always like to give shout-outs to my friend Eric Campbell. Um, Arguments for Stillness is one of my favorite books. And um, it's, it's on the shelf. I think it's it's in the cabinet there. And this is uh, the poem that, that Dick referenced. So let's read that really quick. We have a few minutes. Um, this is Hare Samsa before Gregor's death. Let me... Found himself more and more often on a certain bar stool in Czechoslovakia, becoming tedious to the regulars who lar- drink largely to escape their ironies. He sat mumbling under his breath, grunts which, when parsed into words, sounded like thorax or pesticide. And when he'd finally slap that the bar top and say, let me tell you about my son, the regulars would study the sweat rings on the bar, or their heads, or their hands. How would you feel if one day you came home and suddenly your son was a difficult-to-explain allegory? What would your neighbors, um, or your God, think of that? This, or a uh, derivation thereof, was recently the question. The answer, always a nodding or shaking of silent heads. Be thankful, Gregor's father would say, sighing his way toward the door. Thank your goddamn maker that you never sired a metaphor. Be happy you're not surrounded by connotations. As if the literal world ain't tough enough as it is, or isn't. That was Eric Campbell with Hair Samsa Before Gregor's Death from uh, Arguments for Stillness. It's a great book, a great argument for poetry is what that book is. So let's wrap the show up today with that, and uh, let's do the Saiku really quickly. The Saiku for this week is based on this fascinating little study. This is from MIT News. Uh, Riddle solved why Roman concrete, or why was Roman concrete so durable? So here we go. We can get this small enough that you can actually see it. 
Um, mystery sol- riddle solved. Why was Roman concrete so durable? An unexpected ancient manufacturing strategy may hold the key to designing concrete that lasts for millennia. And basically what they found, there were all these little like chunks of limestone inside when they did scans and, and sort of dug apart and took apart um, Roman concrete. And uh, what they found, and they, they originally they thought it was just like they weren't good at grinding it and it was just imperfections that they didn't want. It turns out that this limestone... These chunks you see right here in the red and the orange, um, they're these big chunks of limestone. When it rains and cracks are formed, um, it dissolves in the rainwater and then turns into a sort of a new mortar that fills in the crack. And so it's a self-healing property that they and they actually knew exactly what they're doing and do it better than us. And uh, and that's why the Roman load, roads last so long. Because they have these big chunks of limestone that act as mortar, even uh, you know per- perpetually repairing cracks automatically, which is a pretty cool. Um, thing to do and there's of course there's implications for our own roads and maybe we could do a better job of uh, doing it the Roman way so that's a very interesting little article I found and uh, here's the quick psyche for this week driving around the pothole they filled driving around the pothole they filled that is your psyche for the week and that is the show for this week thanks everybody for being a guest the prompt for next week uh, is going to be this um Go to a newspaper of your choice, and this is inspired by, so what I'm going to do is um, make poems inspired by the guest, or make prompts inspired by the guest. So this is inspired by um, Sonny Greenfield reading her book, um, All Possible Histories. Um, Go to a newspaper of your choice, find a headline you find completely uninteresting, read the entire article and let your mind wander, then write a poem about where it went. Uh, title it with a phrase from the article. So um, so find a boring article and then see what that does to your imagination. Pay attention to how you're daydreaming and where your mind's drifting off and then write a poem about that drift. And we'll see if we can um, become self-conscious, you know, uh, unself-conscious enough to, uh, to pull that off. That's next week's prompt. Um, newspaper article based. It can be a poet respond poem. That's kind of the way it's built in here. Um, feel free to make it a poet respond. It'll be about the news even if it's about it at an angle. And um, so that is your prompt for this week. Next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be A.E. Hines. Um, A.E. Hines, you reckon from Poets Respond again. A.E. Hines was on Poets Respond just a couple weeks ago. He mentioned that he had a book, Any Dumb Animal, which I wasn't familiar with, but now we know Any Dumb Animal, and he's going to be the guest next week. Um, and I don't know a whole lot more about A.E. Hines, except for he went to the uh, Pacifica... Uh, writing workshop which is the thing that i always say is the best if you want to go to a writing workshop try pacifica um, he's a graduate of there and his new book any dumb animal just came out recently so i'm really looking forward to reading that and sharing it with him uh on next week's episode that was Radicast number 178 with a.e hines monday january 23rd the regular time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific we'll have open lines after that we'll have critique of the week in the meantime hope you have a great week and i will talk to you later good night